Please turn with me now to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14. This evening we're going to be looking at the doctrine, very important, and I'll be honest, one of the most nervous I've ever been dealing with any topic in any any time in my life, because this is a topic where we are really coming upon holy ground, and a topic where people within the church often go in the wrong direction. And often we come to a doctrine such as this. We're not sure really how important it is. It's not really until we come to real life examples, perhaps you've had some in your own life, where you've seen the devastation of rejecting the Trinity. I remember years ago, I was growing up in Cork, and I was, I can't remember what age I was at the time, I might have been about 10, 12, or something like that. And I still remember to this day, there's a car park across from our house, and there was a load of cars came, and we didn't know who these people were. A load of them drove in, a small little area, a main road, um, our business was across the way, and I remember a load of these cars came in, and they started knocking on doors. I was like, what's this all about? We didn't really know what was going on. And I remember just our family's reaction, we hid. <laughs> we hid, we, none of us dared put our head above the couch because um, we lived in a bungalow and it was easy to spot if anybody was at home. Uh, I think a lot of our neighbors did the exact same thing. Now you might be wondering, were these faithful, wonderful Christians going around knocking doors, giving out literature? Unfortunately, it wasn't that at all. Um, this was a group that people usually want to avoid. They're known generally as the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I still remember that years later. Why do I bring this up? Well, I bring this up because the Jehovah's Witnesses believe many things, but one thing that they're known for um, believing, or should we say disbelieving, is that Jesus is as much God as the Father is God. They would reject that Jesus is God. I remember years later, I was reading my Bible in a coffee shop, just kind of minding my own business, just reading away, and a guy comes up to me and starts saying, oh, you're reading the Bible, that's wonderful. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. I was really excited by this conversation. And then I remember after a few minutes, I realized, oh, you're a Jehovah's Witness as well. Um, and I just said, look, I believe Jesus is God. The conversation wasn't so friendly after that. Um, these are just some examples that I've seen over the years of what happens when we don't see that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God as well. And not only that, but these three are one. As it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, for there are three that bear witness in, in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Now what does it mean by these three are one? What does that oneness mean at all? And I saw in these times people speak, when people speak about, especially when they reject the Trinity, how it could become a gospel <coughs> issue. 
a gospel an issue and a vital issue, a sacred ground. So as we read through this passage, may the Lord keep us from error. May the Lord preserve us. May the Holy Spirit, who himself is God, may he keep us along the truth that we may be clearer in our own minds of who God is, that one true and living God. John chapter 14, let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Where I am, where you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that, my, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live and you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in the Father, And you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. 
These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe, I will no longer Talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. There's a challenge uh, Picking a text for such a topic, the, the Trinity is really spoken about in many different parts of, especially the New Testament, but also the Old Testament as well. So this message will be very topical. There will be some references to this chapter, but we will be going to different parts of the Bible as well. For anything that we believe about Scripture needs to come from God's Word, because we need light in this area. We may come to an understanding that there is one true God from nature. But we will never come to an understanding from nature that there's three persons in that one God. This has to be revealed to us. And this is, no doubt, one of the most challenging areas that we can deal with when it comes to knowing God. This is very much an introduction very much something to help you to get to know the Trinity that little bit more and to go a little bit deeper than just saying this. There's one God, there's three persons. Okay, we're finished, let's all go home. So I want to have it a little bit deeper than that so that we have... I know that there is a sense in our minds we cannot understand the Trinity, not fully, but there are certain truths of the Trinity revealed in the scripture. We need to come humbly before this topic, but also realizing the scripture has told us things about the relationship between the Father and the Son, and between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we must wrestle with as much of the revealed world, word of God as we possibly can. And before we go into our three points, you can probably guess what the three points are going to be. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But there's two possible errors that we always fall into, and the church can possibly fall into. The first one is this, that we just say, well, there's one God, and God is sometimes the Father, sometimes the Son, and sometimes the Holy Spirit. He's really one person, and that's an error. And it's been recognized as a heresy for a very, very long time. In history, it's been called modalism, saying that God is not three persons. But the other danger I think we're more in danger of today in our modern evangelical culture is kind of going, okay, we're very much focused in modern books about three persons. We want to emphasize the threeness. 
But the danger is we've lost the sense of one God and much of what has been said these days. The danger is we go towards thinking that there are really three gods on a par with each other. And they are not. There is one God. We'll be talking about baptism in a couple of weeks. We are baptized in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is one God. So in all these things, we have to preserve both truths. That there is one God, one essence. He's one being. But modes of existence, it's called sometimes, are three persons, as you may have well heard. And we're also going to be looking at as well in this, something that the Westminster Larger Catechism talks about. How are they different from each other? We may say, well, okay, these three are one, they are God. Well, how are they different? And we're going to be looking at that as well, that they're personal properties. What makes the Father the Father? What makes the Son the Son? And what makes the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit? So we're going to look at the God the Father. Number one, God the Father. Now this is the one where people may not struggle as much with, especially when we come to knowing that there is one God. Even cults such as the Jehovah's Witnesses will recognize that the Father is God. And the Father is God. Verse 1 of John Chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. So God here is clearly referring to the Father, his Father. He is the one who sent the Son into this world. Now, he is said to be The Father to Jesus the Son. Lots of questions come up then. It's like, well, does he become a father? Can these relationships change? But God, the Father, has this relationship with his Son from eternity. This is a relationship that cannot and does not change. This is really a relationship within God himself, the being of God. Verses 6 and 7 says this of John chapter 14. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. There is, isn't there, here in these texts, we see a glimpse of that oneness that exists between the Father and the Son. We're told in other passages, John chapter 3, verse 16, and you may know it from memory, learning it from a young age. John chapter 3, verse 16, probably the most famous verse of the Scriptures. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But then there's that phrase there. He gave his only begotten son. His only begotten son. And people have wrestled with this for a very long time. And while the church has struggled with it, there is a massive 
body of Christians throughout the centuries who agree in this one thing. That there's this relationship, eternal relationship between the Father and the Son. The Father has his only begotten Son. It points back to eternity. And these roles cannot be swapped. The Father cannot become the Son. The Son cannot become the Father. The Father is God in every way. And Jesus tells us how the Father is God. He tells us in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then at the end of that Lord's Prayer, it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, at the, end, at the second half of that verse, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In John 1.1 1, 1, it says this, In the beginning was the word. And we know from the context this is speaking about Jesus. The word was with God. It was the Father. And the word was God. So we have two here. The word who is God. And we have also the Father who is God. God. Now, as we look at this and as we go through this, what is the danger we think? The danger is that we may kind of go, okay, here's three and they're both on the same par and it's, we're kind of like dividing up the being of God. That would be the danger. That we kind of go one third, one third, and one third. If you remember your maths from when you were growing up. The being of God cannot be divided. It cannot be divided and it cannot be multiplied. It cannot be multiplied and it cannot be divided. Why cannot be divided? Because if you divide anything, imagine you have a big block of gold. It's worth a lot. If you divide it into three, that third of that block is worth less than the whole. That is not God. God's being, his essence, cannot be divided and it cannot be multiplied. If it can be divided, it can be made less. It's not God. If it can be made greater than it wasn't God to begin with. There is none greater than God. There is one God. But God the Father is God. He is the full essence. If you put it like that. He is the full being of God. He's not part of God. And I think one of the areas we can struggle with this is we think, okay, God the Father and God the Son together are somehow more of God. No. God the Father, we have the full being of who God is. The very essence of who God is. Now, what we can take away from that can often be neglected. Sometimes we can have a head knowledge of the Trinity. And we may lose the love for the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do we love the Father? We can lose the sense of the Father loves his children. One of the reasons in Roman Catholicism, I remember growing up as a Roman Catholic... One of the reasons I think that Mary is so popular within Roman Catholicism is psychological reasons, I think. People often prefer to go to Mary because Jesus is going to be angry with me. I've actually heard people say things like this to me. And as Protestants, we may be in danger of kind of going, Jesus only. Jesus seems more approachable. Jesus is true man. He's also true God. But we neglect sometimes, we think of 
Jesus only. Think of God the Father as he's always disappointed with you. Now, there is the wrath of God against all who are outside of Christ. But in Christ, in Christ, the Father delights in his children. Every single one of his children. He delights in you if you're trusting in Jesus Christ today. There's um, a formula that's often used for the benediction at the end of services and something similar that I sometimes use. At the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and it's the love of God the Father. And the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. God the Father loves. It's something we, we can often forget. The Father loves. We often, in the, I think in the church, we don't struggle with the other two members of the Trinity. But I think with the Father, we forget how loving he is. He sent his son, his only begotten son. To come and to suffer and die in our place. And, you know, did you ever see that bumper sticker or the, the thing maybe outside churches? is Jesus saves. And it's true. Jesus does save. But so does the Father. The Father also saves. He saves in sending his Son. Actually, salvation is all the members of the Trinity. The Father sends the Son. The Son accomplishes redemption. He, he dies. He suffers in our place. And the Spirit of God <laughs> applies it making us see the glories of Christ and of the Father. The Father delights in us if we're in Christ this very evening. I say this because this is something that dawned on me years ago. Sometimes we can come to God in prayer and almost treat God as if he's just merely tolerating us. We've, been, we've had a horrible day. We've just been... We've done everything wrong, and we're doing it out of duty, rather than seeing that God delights in our prayers. Do you see the difference? Do you ever have uh, somebody who, you know, like, they're kind of, you're not sure if they enjoy your company or not, and you wonder if you're bothering them or not. Sometimes in our relationship with God and our Father, we think that he is continually disappointed with us. But when he sees you, He doesn't see your sin. He sees Christ's finished work. Remember what he said of Christ. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He delights in your prayers. It brings joy to the father. He delights in it. For the father himself, it says in the scriptures, loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I've come forth from God. John 16, verse 27. So now, you might think, how is the Father different from the Son and from the Holy Spirit? Because the Father is love, the Son is love, and so is the Holy Spirit. What makes them different? Because we have to remember, it's not just like a community of three people coming together and we're all going to agree in a meeting, that kind of unity. That is not the unity within the Godhead. They are one being. Well, the first way that the Father is different from the Son is this. He is unbegotten, or he is not begotten. The Father 
begets the Son from all eternity. Which brings us to our second point, which is God the Son. God the Son. We see this in the psalm that we sung earlier in Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 7. And while this psalm is fulfilled in time, this day I have begotten you, it points back to an eternal relationship between the Father and the Son. I will declare the decree, it says in Psalm 2, verse 7. The Lord has said to me, you are my Son, today I have begotten you. And notice how I say it is an eternal relationship, an eternal relationship. And one of the verses we're going to look at as well is John 1, verse 14. John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18 also says this as well. No one has seen... God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now you might be saying, well, okay, that's very interesting, but what does begets mean? What does it mean to, I think we, we struggle in the English language to really communicate this in modern English. Now, let's think about us, we're creatures, and we understand creaturely language. God is eternal. So we've got to be careful in any language that we use of God. Now, for creatures, we are, we are finite. We have a beginning. We are not infinite like God. It says of creatures, for example, the, the relationship between Abraham and Isaac. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who he had received, the promises, offered up his only begotten son. It's actually exactly the same word. He's only begotten. The relationship between Abraham and Isaac has a beginning. A human father and a human son. Now this is based in time. The relationship between God the Father and God the Son is not in time. It is from eternity. Apart from if the Lord never created anything, or apart from any of his created works, or anything like that, this relationship would be from eternity past to eternity future, cannot and will never, ever change. The begetting we speak about between God the Father and God the Son is eternal. It is eternal. And this is vital. This relationship is from eternity past, it will never change. The roles are not reversible. They cannot, the father cannot become the son. And the son cannot become the father. The son is eternally begotten of the father. And he is, this is why he is the only begotten son. He is only can be described this way. This relationship, this unique relationship between God the father and God the son. It's important to say that Christ never became the Son of God. He was, from, he was the Son of God from all eternity. It says in our Westminster Larger Catechism, question number nine, how many persons are there in the, in the Godhead? Answer, there be three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. 
And these three are one true eternal God. The same in substance, equal in power and glory, although distinguished by their personal properties. They are the same in every way because they all share that one being. They are that that one essence. They are God in every single way. However, they have personal properties, it's called. Basically, the relationships between the Father and the Son, and between the Son and the Holy Spirit, and also between the Father as well. The Father is unbegotten. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. That, that's what distinguishes them. That's what makes them different. It says in Hebrews 1.3, this is speaking about Christ, who being the, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. This is talking about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. God the, God the Son is eternally begotten of the Father, so he's the express image of his person. And the way that people would have described this in years gone by, he receives eternally. There's, there's no beginning to this. Eternally, from the, from the Father to the Son, his divine essence. His divine essence. And this is a good thing. This means it is the same light in God the Son as in God the Father. There's no diminishing of that light from one to the other. It is the same light. It is the same glory. Actually, in, our nice, in the Nicene Creed, this is what it says. And at the beginning of the Nicene Creed, it says this, we believe. And a little bit down, it says, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. God from God. See that? God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, and this is very, very important, not made. Because they knew what it meant in human language. That's actually back at that time, they thought, oh, does begotten mean made? But not in eternity. Not in eternity. Begotten, not made of the same essence or being as the Father. This is the Nicene Creed. And the personal properties, it says in question 10 of a Westminster Larger Catechism. What are the personal properties of the three persons of the Godhead? We'll just read about the Father and the Son. It is proper to the Father to beget the Son. And to the Son to be begotten of the Father. Now you might be here saying, oh, why, does, why does any of this matter? Why does any of this matter? And it might scare us. And I remember when I started learning about this, probably a bit over a couple of years ago, and beginning to understand it more and more, these eternal relationships between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that is what distinguishes them. And when we forget these things, we do drift into error without really realizing it. The wonderful thing about this is, it is the same light from God the Father to God the Son. The same truth, the same glory, the same splendor, because God is one. God is one. The glory, the radiance. So we worship God the Son He's got the same glory, radiance, power, majesty, and might as the Father. 
He creates just like the Father creates. Now there's one thing people have really struggled with as well between this relationship between the Father and the Son. Now I'm talking about from eternity, from eternity past. Does the Son obey the Father in eternity? Now I'm talking about before the incarnation. I say this because this is causing a lot of people a lot of struggling in the, in the last, in recent times. The Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. They are one will. They are one power. They are one glory. There's no submitting, is what I'm saying, one toward another. Ah, but you'll say, well, in the Bible, Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but thine be done. These verses will flood into our minds. He says that as a servant, in the form of a servant, he took upon himself human flesh. And when he became flesh, this is the Son of God, he was born under the law. It says in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might re- receive the adoption as sons. That's when his submission began, his incarnation, born under the law. And it's actually, you'd be amazed how popular that view is. It's something I actually struggled with myself years ago. Um, and sometimes the Trinity is used for various different illustrations in not a great way. Um, you, may have heard, you might have heard this. You might even have used this illustration yourself. And I probably have used it myself as well. Um, sometimes you'll hear people preaching about or teaching about, well, women, say, in the church or at home have to submit to their husbands. And I say, well, okay, they're, but it doesn't mean they're less valued. Ah, you see, Jesus submitted to his father. So that means they're of the same value as well. The danger with that is Jesus was made lower than the angels as man. But as God, he is completely one with the father. I say this is because we've got to be careful how we use the Trinity. And by the way, I've heard that illustration used by one of my favorite preachers. I'm not quoting from people who are terrible teachers or anything like that. But we've got to be careful that we see the oneness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And also see the same glorious light. that We, do, we, we don't think that the Son is any less God. It's, that's the big temptation, isn't it? That we start to see the Son somehow lesser God. Even when we read earlier on, it says, my father is greater than I. Oh, what does that mean? As a servant. As a servant. See, whenever we see Jesus being spoken about in the New Testament, ask yourself the question, is it speaking about him as a man? As a servant? Or is it speaking about him as God? Sometimes it speaks about one And sometimes it speaks about the other. So I always just urge you to be careful as we read these things. Jesus never ever ceased to have the same glorious light. He never set his glory aside. 
He never in any way ceased to be glorious and worthy of all praise and all honor and glory. Yes, he took upon himself the form of a servant. Yes, he took upon himself human flesh. Yes, he suffered. But at the same time, never ceasing ever to be God. True God from true God. See, that eternal relationship is very important, how we view the Son. And as it brings us on now to a third point, God, the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. And there's a danger, isn't it, that this becomes the forgotten member of the Trinity. Um, Each member of the Trinity is spoken about in both Testaments, by the way. Both Testaments, old and new. However, it is much clearer. It is much clearer in the New Testament. It's a bit like if this room is in darkness and you bring the light up very, very slowly. Oh, gradually you'll see the chairs. Gradually you'll see a few other things. And you turn it up more. What will you see even more? Of what was already there. Actually, this is the way B.B. Warfield described this between the Old and the New Testament when we're seeing the Trinity. He said, The Old Testament may be likened to a chamber richly furnished but dimly lit. The, The introduction of light brings into it nothing which was not in it before, but it brings out into clearer view much of what was in it, but was only dimly or even not at all perceived before. The Trinity is not some brand new thing in the New Testament. It's just it was not clearly as clearly seen as it is in the New Testament. Do I have an example? Yes, I do. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. We have the Trinity in view in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I think we'd all agree that God the Father was part of creation, wasn't he? The earth was without form and void. The darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God, here we have the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters. Where do we see the sun? Well, it says here, Then God said, let there be light. The word of God. Father, the word, and the spirit. And these three are one. Let there be light, and there was light. In that first three verses, you have the Trinity. Is it as clear as in the New Testament? No. God the Father created. God the Son created. His word spoke forth, sent by his Father. The Spirit of God also creates, hovering upon the earth, creating. And creation is triune. Triune. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our salvation is triune. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father sending the Son again. And the Spirit of God making us alive to our sin, our misery. And the beauty of Christ, we come, we're brought into relationship with Christ that we may come into the presence of the Father. Just one more verse from Genesis 1. Genesis 1.26, let us, hmm, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Let us make man in our own, in our image, according to our likeness. And there's other things in the, in the Old Testament you could look at as well. Even the word for God in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, is Elohim. And what's actually very interesting about Elohim is this. It's a plural word. 
If you put im at the end of a Hebrew word, it's plural. So there's little hints of the Trinity. And there's more explicit things of the Trinity throughout (coughs) the Old Testament. But not as clear as it is in the New Testament. It says in question 10 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. What are the personal properties of the three persons in the Godhead? It is proper to the Father to beget the Son, and the Son to be begotten of the Father. Now the Holy Spirit. And to the Holy Ghost to proceed from the Father and the Son from all eternity. Now this is a relationship from all eternity. Apart from all creation, apart from all his creative works. This is something that cannot and will never change. Question 11 of our Westminster Large Catechism. How doth it appear that the Son and the Holy Ghost are God equal with the Father? The scriptures, it says, manifest that the Son and the Holy Ghost are God equal with the Father, ascribing unto them such names, attributes, works, and worship as are proper to God only. One way is one of the attributes, we're talking about their creation, salvation. These things are attributed to the Holy Spirit. Returning again to our main text, which is in John 14. John 14, verses 16 to 18, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit. And I will pray the Father, verse 16, and he will give you another helper. Or, as it's sometimes translated, comforter or some kind of an advocate. That he may abide with you forever. Verse 17, the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And notice how in the sending of the Spirit of God, Jesus says to them, I will come to you. Isn't that amazing? The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit is called. Only God could be called that way. Remember the phrase I've probably used a number of times, all that is in God is God. All that is in, and this is where this is important. The Spirit is not an it, it is not a thing sent forth from the Father. All that is in God is God. That word um, translated there, helper, can also be understood as in terms of counselor, encourager. One sent to provide guidance or encouragement. And is that not wonderful? Now, the eternal relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he proceeds from the Father and the Son. And as such, it is fitting that he sends the Holy Spirit, proceeding from the Father and the Son. And what purpose has been sent to you? If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, he has been sent to you, to dwell in you, to encourage you. Isn't that an amazing thing? Encouragement. We need encouragement. Though every single last one of us need encouragement. We need help. We need strength. Sometimes we'll need correction. Sometimes we'll need to be chastened in our hearts that something is wrong. It says in John 20, verses 21 to 22, So Jesus said to them again, Peace 
To you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Now that procession from the Father and the Son. It is different names that people call spiration or breathing. He breathed the Son. Or not breathe the Son, breathe the Holy Spirit. All that is in God is God. Our God is not made up of parts. He is one. He is simple. He is glorious. He's not made up of three parts. But at the same time, while God is one, he is three persons. The Holy Spirit is God. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians 4, 30. The Spirit brings you to the Son that you may be brought to the Father. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes you. The only reason any of us are here this evening is because of the Holy Spirit. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, we'd just be like anyone else. If, we love, if we're here this evening, we love God, that's something to thank the Holy Spirit for. You, you, you love to read your Bible? That's the Holy Spirit. Uh, you love to hear the Word of God? Well, that's the Holy Spirit bringing you to the Word. Because the Holy Spirit wrote the Word. Remember what we looked at the other week? All scriptures given by inspiration of God. Breathed out by God. It's the Spirit of God who worked in the Word of God. Even the Bible, dear friends, is Trinitarian. Even the Bible. Even the Bible. Proceeding from the Father and the Son. John 15, verse 26. John 15, verse 26. But when the the Helper comes... Whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me. He will testify of me. And I say this. This is not an easy topic, is it? It is not. But it is a glorious topic at the same time. It is something, the more I look into it myself, and I have much to learn on this topic, that makes me, my heart rejoice in God. In his glory, in his majesty. May we delight in our Father, our Father in heaven, and have a closeness, an intimacy, a joy when we come into his presence. May we have a delight and an intimacy and see the glory of Christ, who is the only begotten of the Father, God, true God from true God, begotten, not made. May we delight in the Spirit of God who's made us alive. If we, if we see anything, if in this world we delight in these truths, it is the Spirit of God bringing us. And as we think about the monumental task of reaching the loss of Christ in this area, he will not leave you orphans. The work of the kingdom is Trinitarian. The Bible is Trinitarian. Everything is Trinitarian. That God who is without parts, pure light, pure wisdom. I encourage you here this evening, as we, as we come to a close here and as we worship our God, as we pick up our psalters, come to the Father in the name of the Son, enabled by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.